And uh, my question this morning is, is uh, what's keeping you from starting your impossible? The Bible is full of stories where Jesus invites people into the impossible. And sometimes it gets short-circuited, sometimes by faith, sometimes by barriers, sometimes by what? But I believe on any given day that Jesus has got arms wide open, beckoning us, saying, come on, we've got something. Come on, we've got a big journey to go on. Come on, we're going to expand your faith. Come on, I, I want to do a miracle through you. Come on, I want to, I want to place you in somebody's life to, so that they see the glory of God. And, and it's something that on your own you can't do, but that's the key is he's giving us the opportunity day by day, sometimes minute by minute, to start your impossible. And with, with you, yes, it's impossible. But I want you to see this. We'll, we'll start with the, the negative, I guess you'd say, and and here's some men that Jesus is inviting to start the impossible. And look at their response. The Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That's, that's the overarching thing of that we believe. God did not come to ridicule people. God did not come to separate people. God came to save people. So if you're a people and I'm a people, our job is the same as Jesus. If we're Jesus followers, is to find and save people. It's not to just do religious things, it's to save people. So then he goes on. They went to a certain village, verse 17. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone, someone just comes up to to Jesus and he says, I'll follow you anywhere, wherever you go. Jesus says, okay, great. But I just want you to know foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't even have a place to lay my head. And even though he doesn't finish the sentence... The overall illustration says that the man didn't follow him. It's like, oh, I thought there were some strings attached. I thought if I followed you, I'd get something from this. He moves along. He says to another man, follow me. But that man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my... I'm not telling you no. I'm not saying I won't follow you, Jesus. But I've got some other stuff to do first. Been there? God, I want everything you've got for me, but I've got to work some stuff out, and but I've got a schedule, and but I've got this. And, and as I've said this before, with no graphic intended, the problem with most Americans, especially in the West, is we have big butt problems. And not the thing you're sitting on. Jesus calls us to start our impossible, and we say, but my job, but I don't know, but... That's inconvenient, but I'm scared, but I don't know enough, but... And it's been this way since the beginning. He says, but I've got to go and bury my father first. I've got some... And Jesus sounds kind of unkind here, but he's really getting to the heart of the situation. (coughs) Let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. All that stuff will be taken care of. You preach the kingdom of God. You say you want to follow me. I'm inviting you to follow me. There's always going to be an excuse not to. There's always going to be an excuse and a reason to detach, be disconnected. As Jesse said, I love what he said, being isolated or secluded. There's always a good reason to do that. But that's not what he's called us to do. Verse 61. And another comes to him and he says, Lord, I will follow you. But... 
First, let me go and tell my house goodbye. Let me bid them farewell. Let me, let me go back to my family and take care of some business. And it's not that Jesus doesn't care for families, but he knows the heart of us that we tend to have excuses and then we procrastinate and procrastinate and procrastinate. And he's like, it's not hurting me if you don't follow me. It's not hurting me if you don't want to do what I want to do. It's hurting you. I'm inviting you to start your impossible. I'm inviting you into a miracle situation. And your first response isn't, oh, I can't believe it. Your first response is, but. So let me show you what Jesus' intent is through some scriptures here. Luke chapter 1, Luke is full of all of this. And again, you've probably heard this hundreds and hundreds of times. But I remind you of something. Sometimes we've got to slow down enough to actually read this. Luke one thirty seven says, For with God nothing will be impossible. Right? Have you heard that before? All right. Now, notice how he says this. God has no problem doing the impossible. He does it all the time. He spoke out and creation started. And things began to grow and there was light and there was dark and there were stars and there was moon and out of nothing. He has no problem with the impossible. We have a problem with the impossible. But notice that he uses this word with. That's together. You want to start your impossible? Start it with God. You've got to start with Him. See, you're wanting to see the impossible, but you've got to remember that God's in the impossible. God in Himself is impossible. How can three things be in one? I can't explain it, but He is impossible, and yet He's altogether real. Luke 18, 27. He said to them, The things which are impossible with men are impossible, and there's those two words again, with God. And what he's saying here, don't make the mistake of saying, well, of course, God can do anything. He says, with God. He doesn't say it's, impos- it's possible for God. What he's really saying is that when you and God get together, the impossible now become possible. And for some of you, you're waiting on God, but you're not waiting on God. God's waiting on you because every time he wants to do something, you keep saying, but but I've got a trip planned, but I've got vacation, but I'm retired, but I've got this, but I've got that. And he's like, you don't get it. I'm inviting you to start your impossible. Why would you want to delay? Great question. And some of you, you just need to back up even beyond that. You haven't settled your issue with God yet. You're still, can I follow him? Can I trust him? Is he really? Is he this? Is he that? Just believe. It requires faith. I can't give you tangible proof. If I had proof, you wouldn't need faith. Hebrews, or sorry, Matthew chapter 17, Jesus says, because of your unbelief is the reason that this doesn't happen. But I say to you, look at this. Look how little it takes. Because the basis of the impossible isn't on us. The basis of the impossible is in God, but we just need minuscule faith to just hope to believe that he could. 
Can I tell you that sometimes what pushes out our faith is facts? The doctor said, well, that's a fact. That's not faith. My job said, that's a fact, not faith. Well, I just know that's a fact and not faith. And facts and fear push out faith. But the opposite also happens. Where we begin to have faith, it pushes out the facts and the fear. But you just have to, I don't know if I have enough faith. Jesus handles that. He's like, okay, you don't have enough faith? How about that much faith? And look what he says. Notice he does this much faith with a massive, massive thing. Isn't that amazing? Imagine if he had flipped that around, how depressing that would be. If you could have mountain-sized faith, you could say to this mustard seed, be moved. I'm so thankful that he says, if you've got this much faith, you stand with me. And big things happen. Things that seem immovable, move. Problems that you face, valleys that you've walked through, all of those things are easy for me. And you just have to have this much faith. My question to you is, what's happened to your faith? Every movement of God in every church denomination started with people with faith that said there's got to be more than this. We've got to push in. We've got to push through. We've got to keep praying. We've got to keep believing. We've got to keep worshiping. I'm going to keep seeking. I'm going to keep following. And they didn't have facts in front of them, and they didn't have everything lined up. They just had faith. Even our own country was founded on people that had faith that if they kept sailing, they would make it here. And then when they made it to the East Coast, they had faith they could make it to the West Coast. But nobody had ever been there before. They didn't need facts. Facts were, that's a big distance. Facts were, there was Indians. Facts were, they were about to hit the Rocky Mountains. Facts were, they were going to encounter snow. What's keeping you from starting your impossible? With that much faith, things that have been in our way can be moved. And he says, with that much faith, nothing will be impossible for you. Because your faith isn't based on you. Your faith is based on Him. You see, we want to be in control of things. We want to be able to work things out. We want to know the date. We want to know the time. We want to know what's needed. We want the supply list. We want the checklist. But that's not faith. That's facts. And God says, if you'll just trust me, nothing will be impossible for you. It's not possible that a man's dead for three days and comes back to life until he did it. It's not possible that a bunch of fishermen and educated men could turn the world on their ear and argue with highly educated men about the gospel until they did. It's not possible that a dead girl, being dead, comes back to life because he just speaks to her until she did. It's not possible that a trained Roman soldier looked at Jesus on the cross and said, surely, this is the Son of God. Until he did. Something changed. And it takes this much faith, church. 
And that's what this is all about. I'm not talking about some wild, weird, wacko. I'm talking about we've got to get our faith back. And it starts with just a small kernel, a small seed of faith. Don't put your hope in politics. Don't put your hope in legislation. Don't even put your hope in people. Put your full hope and faith in Jesus Christ. He is the God of the impossible. He's the God that can do what we can't do, what no man can do. He's not limited. He's not restricted. He's not saying, well, I don't know if this will work. That's us. That's the people around us. Look at Hebrews. Hebrews is called the faith chapter because they say it over and over and over and over again. And, and maybe you need to read that a couple times this week. Keep reading through and saying, hey, bad circumstances, but by faith. And this guy was up against, but by faith. And she was dealing with, but by faith. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And he kicks it off here in Hebrews chapter 11. Look what he says. Faith is what? Faith is something you hope for. You don't have it or you wouldn't need faith. I don't need faith that I can have this Bible. I've got it right here. Now, for those of you raised in a different time and generation, are you sure you really have it? Yes, I'm sure I'm really holding this Bible. But maybe in an alternate universe. I don't need the other universe. I'm in this universe, the one created by my God. I know who I serve. I know what he can do. And I know that he has more ability and more power. We haven't even scratched the surface of what he can do. The problem is we tend to not ask. We tend to not believe. The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not Seen. Think about this for a minute. This blows my mind. This is so awesome. We're sitting in court, and the guy says, I'd like to present a piece of evidence. And the judge said, okay, bring the evidence. And the, the prosecuting attorney says, okay, what's the evidence? And you go, there's nothing in your hand. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not evidence. Now, they laugh you out of the court. Because they want facts. Jesus says that faith is the evidence. Listen. He's not saying what you hold is the evidence. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. If I have to see it, it's not faith. It's faith that I don't see it. I'm hoping for it. And the substance of my hope is my faith in Jesus Christ. And he doesn't have to prove it. And he doesn't have to give me a physical shape or form. I believe it because he said it. That's faith. You can have healing by faith. You can have deliverance by faith. You can have your life restored by faith. You don't have to have physical evidence. It can just happen. Nobody has to write it down. Nobody has to define it or quantify it or measure it. All you need is how much? That much faith. Because it's with God. And the real problem, I'm just going to get to it right here before we close, is that we struggle with giving God the power over our lives. 
It's one thing to get saved. It's another to fully yield and say, Lord, this life is yours. Where I go, what I do, how I live, how I spend, how I raise my kids, how I talk to people, how I work on my job, how I spend my free time, that's all up to you, Lord. And whatever you say, I say yes. That's the tough part. Many people come and get saved and then walk away and they never do another thing with their salvation. But what if maybe we just dialed our faith up just one more little mustard seed and we say, Lord, if I can trust you with my salvation, I can trust you with my life and its decisions. I can trust you with my emotions. I can trust you with my spouse. I can trust you with my family. I can trust you with my money. I can trust you with everything because I have faith. Now, he hasn't done anything in it yet, but I have faith that he will. That's what I'm talking about. Had a conversation with a, a good Christian lady last week, and she was honest and, and replied how, how I felt as well, even though I got saved in kind of a radical situation. But I find that a lot of people get saved not because they want to turn their life over to Jesus. They just don't want to go to hell. Now, again, that's a great reason to get saved because you don't want to go to hell. Believe me, it's not, a, it's not someplace, well, that's a good alternate. No, it's not. But if that's the only reason you got saved, you probably won't live the life that you could live and you probably will question your salvation the rest of your life because it requires faith to follow Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, look what he says. Without faith, I want you to read that again. Without faith, it is what? It's impossible to please him. He's not pleased by keeping the rules. He's not pleased by your dress code. He's not pleased that you managed to sit in church for 90 minutes. He's not pleased that you did your Bible devotion. He's not pleased. What's it take to please God? Isn't that funny? That it's one simple thing that we struggle with the most. Faith. Without it, it's impossible to please Him because you won't keep a relationship with Him. Without it, it's impossible to please Him because you won't trust to do what He says to do. Without it, you won't please Him because you'll keep yourself under your control and not His control. And we wrestle with that. And if that's you this morning, I, I, I'm just going to tell you as a friend and as a quit feeling guilty for yourself and make the change. Quit having the pity party. Quit making the excuses and just take one step out and say, it's too hard to do all your life, but Lord, in this area, with my husband, I'm going to trust you. He's an idiot. He doesn't get it. He doesn't read his word. He doesn't pray. I'm a spiritual widow, but I'm trusting you with my husband. You help me get him saved. But what do we do? Nope. I'm going to nag him and beg him, and then pretty soon I'm just going to give up on him, and then I'm going to come and talk to the church about him, and I'm going to ask the pastor to have counseling with him, and then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read a book about it, and oh, uh, how to have a different husband by the end of the week, and then when I don't have a different husband by the end of the week, now I'm wondering why, what's up, God? God? 
where God didn't tell you to read the book about how to have a different husband at the end of the week. He prays and says, how about you pray, change me? Well, that's, I don't need change, and he's the one that takes faith. Look what he says. For he who comes to God, look at that. If you're going to have this relationship where you're going to follow God, right? It doesn't say for those who believe in God. It doesn't say that at all. It's those that come to him. Those that have relationship with him. They must believe. That's a big word, must. Believe that he is in charge of your life. That he is the God of the universe. That he is the one that works miracles. That he is able to heal you. That he is fill in the blank. But that's where we struggle, because God, you don't understand. Of course he understands. You don't understand. And, he didn't end there, you've got to believe that he is, and that he rewards those that do what? Now, we hate this word in America, but this is what we are founded on. But we've fallen away from this practice. Diligently means purposefully, passionately pursuing day after day after day after day. And so if your passionate, diligent pursuit of God is found only on Sunday between 10 and 11.30, that's not diligent. If your prayer life is only when you eat, that's not diligent. If your faith is only when the rubber hits the road and you've got no other choice That's not diligent. We have to diligently seek Him. Why? Who does the miracles? He does. Who has the answer? He does. Who fixes our inward parts? He does. Who takes care of our barrenness? He does. Who fixes our families? He does. But we keep seeking everything else. And He says, you want to have faith? Seek Him. He's the answer. Well, i got to look to culture. Culture doesn't have the answer. Culture is confused. The Creator has the answer. The one that will really help you. He wants to do the impossible in you. He wants to do the impossible through you. He wants to do the impossible with you. That's why it says, with God. And it pleases Him. When we come to Him with empty hands but full faith, I've got nothing to offer. I don't know how to fix this, but I trust that you do. That's what pleases Him. That's what pleases Him. We're going to end with some keys to our impossible. Here we go. Number one, it's got to start with God. And that means relationship and trust. And I invite you this morning, if you have not made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, today's a great place to start. Because you can't even begin an impossible. You can't even believe a big dream. You can't even hope for anything until you start there. And it takes something to trust. I get it. But just start. Start a relationship, which means it's ongoing. And then number two, you've got to stop with the excuses. Remember the butt problem? It requires faith to start your impossible. Not because it limits God, but because it limits you. 
Don't allow facts and fear to push out your faith. And there was a time in the church where we kind of thought we had to over-amplify our faith by saying, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. (coughs) I'm not sick. I am sick, but I've got a God that heals. My marriage is a mess, but I've got a God that knows how to fix it. My children are wild and rebellious, but I've got a God that can rein them in. I've got something that I can't fix, but God is a God that does the impossible. And so, if you're going to tout the facts, then at least follow it up with, but my God is able. Number three, you've got to start with believing God is. How would you finish that sentence this morning? If I just said finish this sentence, God is. How would you end that statement? distant, a harsh judge, kind father. He gives me what I want. I mean, you got to believe he is God. you got to believe he is on your side. you got to believe he is working on your behalf. you got to believe he is willing to do the impossible. Just salvation alone is impossible. That in a moment, you went from destined to hell to a citizen of heaven. Like that. Facts are there's a whole bunch of stuff against you. Faith, he forgave you. That's impossible. Not with God. Is your impossible about you or about God? I can't see myself. Yeah, your impossible is waiting on you. With God, all things are possible.